Okay, we're live. What's up, guys? John Sentes here, Cutter Nation Podcast. First triple feed right here. Pretty excited about it. Um, Catalyst Athletics. Second. 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 No, with three feet. Oh, yeah, you're right. It is second. Second. My bad. I don't know. I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. doesn't matter. Uh, but uh, first of all, don't forget, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. Um, please mash the like button and share this with all of your friends because we're trying to have fun with this. From there. But without further ado, Corey Slinkard, JT Put, Catalyst Athletics. Thank you for What's up? carving out a little time of your day, guys. Our pleasure. Thanks for having us, man. So we were just talking business to business, some of the struggles. Um, why don't you guys just at least start talking about what you have been able to do while we've all been shut down, but also be just just pick up where you left off. What's going on with you guys? Well, we have a lot of a lot of youth teams, so we've been doing a lot of remote training stuff with them. So, you know, prior to you guys are in you guys are in they're in Golden, Colorado. Yeah, just outside of Denver basically in Denver. Um, and so we've been doing a lot of, as much as we can with them, running some uh, online workouts, running some different uh, instructional pieces, some situational pieces, different things like that, just remote training um, as much as we can, video analysis of different mechanics and stuff like that. So we've been uh, pretty immersed in doing everything we can to keeping to help keep those kids active and engaged and doing something during this time. So that's been our primary focus really. So if this wasn't going on, tell us about, tell people don't know you very well. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. We put, I suppose we share a ton back and forth. So if you're, if you're on social media, you guys are very well aware of these guys, but um, for those that might not give us a little background on what catalyst is and who you guys are. Uh, indoor, hitting facility in golden colorado small little boutique facility about four thousand square feet we run all sorts of different club teams all different ages so youth teams all the way up to uh summer teams um private lessons along with camps and clinics different things of that nature we also have a gym portion of it so runs sports specific strength and conditioning programs um as well as sort of like boot camp class some speed and agility stuff so um yeah that's our primary function as a business um and yeah we love to do the social media stuff love being able to connect with that community online and do all we can to sort of help advance that discussion in any way possible and also learn a lot i think i've told you guys before i'm a hitting guy you know and the amount of stuff that i've learned from you guys both your feeds and your pages um has been some of the most effective, like simplest and most effective as it typically is, uh, different coaching cues and drills for the, the pitchers and for just throwing athletes in general. So the, uh, the good old K drill is one of our favorites. So appreciate that, man. Uh, it's been, uh, uh, long process that I feel like, um, you know, as technology goes where, I've got something figured out. I've been in this idea that I've been doing and working with kids is, you know, really been a process since I got hurt and been coming back. And so learning myself, you know, all this, it, ever since I met Cass, like there's just been this skyrocket of information that's gone places. And, uh, yeah, I don't know what he's everyone's better for it. For sure. I mean, it, it's very, it's very cool. We, I tell people all the time that we're yin and yang because, you know, from the moment I met this guy, he's done nothing but challenge me, but, but in a good way, because he wants to know, like, where's all this come from, you know? And so it, we've added stuff, dropped stuff. And I don't think I would have at, been able to evolve inside these ideas as fast as I could have it without his brain. So I, so, a lot of it to him. So how do you guys bounce back and forth? Corey, how do you know JT? What's your relationship like? Well, I've known JT since I was probably 13. You know, he's a couple years older than I am. Uh, we played high school baseball together. We've uh, we've been good buddies for, man, almost 20 years now. Um, but we started Catalyst about six years ago. And it's we have the same type of relationship you guys do with the 
pitching that we do with the hitting where a lot of times we're feeding back and forth off of each other, exploring different topics, challenging each other, trying to pick each other, each other's brains and, you know, find a loophole in an argument or see if we can discover something new. Um, but we've been doing baseball training since, you know, we were in high school and then it's just moved on to, uh, us actually giving the training. It's funny how I feel like there's going to be, I mean, maybe not, but there's like a bunch of dudes that are our age at this time that this couldn't have existed at any other time ever. Right. Where we were like almost everybody coached camps when they were in college. Like this was just part of a thing. And that camps weren't like that, you know, 10, 15 years earlier than that. They were just a fraction of what they are now. You know what I mean? And it's kind of created a bunch of, um, yeah, a bunch of us. It's interesting. So um, did you guys, were you guys starting with teams or how did you like initiate the whole thing? Well, when when we originally, when we originally started, we didn't want teams, right? We, all of the other different facilities around the state, they all have a bunch of teams and stuff like that. And, um, one of the things that we heard and noticed and wanted to try to help is like the June, the junior baseball associations that are around the area. So, you know, Chatfield, Lakewood, West Jeff, um, just like the little local teams, uh, they, a lot of the, what happens is a lot of the players from those little districts, the good players end up getting poached towards facilities, um, within the area. And so those organizations, the talent level has gone down drastically, even, you know, since I was playing there 20 years ago. Um, and so we originally didn't want to have the teams and, you know, just kind of keep it a little more neutral. And it just got to a point where we had so many people knocking on our door, just trying to get in, like start a catalyst team. They really just wanted a home base and it, we just had to do it. It was almost, it was becoming, it was becoming uh, dumb for us not to do it. And it's been good. I, I mean, you end up developing good, good relationships with these teams and um, it is nice. It does help with the income and all that stuff year round. So, but yeah, we originally didn't want to. That's kind of been a thing that we did maybe four years ago we started and we've been open six and a half now. It's funny that you say that um, we were talking to Mike Adams, the baseball performance center, and he was telling me a story about how it was the same thing. He didn't want uh, teams because he just felt like teams were a waste of time. And then he ended up just flipping it and going, you know what? He had too many people say that they had to do teams because of they were doing things to help their players. And then the players were going off and playing on these other teams and they were undoing everything. Yeah. So he was creating this massive confusion. So he was just like, you know what? Yeah. I'm just going to have one team um, or maybe two. And so he only has a high school team, uh, like a freshman, uh, freshman, sophomores, and then juniors and seniors. And that's it. Yeah. There's something special about going through a season with kids too. You know, like doing the stuff indoors is great. And, um, and obviously you can make a huge impact doing the one-on-one work or small group work, but there's something special about it. Something cool actually being able to be out on the field with the kids and, uh, develop those relationships and take them through a full season. And there's so many other little nuances and so many things, I think, especially the mental side of the game and like teaching them how to have that edge, especially as a pitcher, right? Like you guys working with all those arms, like being able to be around as they go through all that adversity in game and sort of help guide them through that and coach them through that is a really cool thing too. And and another element to the training. Yeah, it's um, you guys have a baseball field, which is awesome, right? And and tell us how you guys utilize the baseball field when when you guys are fully operational. Uh, we're I mean we're on it all the time as much as we can be uh, with on field practices. Um, yeah, I mean we're out there doing every different thing that you can imagine. Right. Um, so your practice plan, I think that's where I'm trying to ask about because I, I see a discrepancy in um, strategies of, of practice plans. So, you know, do you feel like it's evolved from, you know, six years ago from what you were doing? And, and are you trying to push the limits of that also? Yeah, I think it definitely has evolved. I was actually on a, a webinar last night with um, the field coordinator for the Oakland A's minor league system. And 
Adam Rosales, Kevin Kuzminoff, a couple former major leaguers and hearing him talk through all of that. And they had a bunch of coaches on there asking questions and very interesting to, to hear his insights and some of the key things that we ended up talking about um, was introducing competition into it, right? Like so much of what happens, I think very often in practice is kids just go through the motion because they're, they're not playing for anything and they get bored. They don't want to just do bunties over and over. And we do bunties. It's like, we have to teach them that they have to know that, you know, but can you develop, can you add some element of competition to it to sort of enhance the whole experience because it galvanizes kids focus as soon as you add some element of competition to it. And the most important competition that ever occurs in a baseball game is all between the pitcher and the hitter. So like what you guys are doing with the live at bats on field is like, that's literally the most valuable piece of it, right? Setting up those live at bats and doing that consistently. Like, I love the way you guys do that. I think it's, it's so well thought out. It's such an important piece of it. The more you can just set up live at bats over and over and over is awesome. We just need to do like you that's 32 and still throws 95 and can throw 150 <laughs> pitches, you know? Like, that's what i got hey, a bunch of old broken down bums boy we can't i think i think i'm a gun for hire now you know you yeah. can fly me in you know All right, we'll get yeah, out there we'll, we'll put some freshmen in the box and show them a couple show them a couple bangers real quick and yeah uh -huh. for sure that would be great i mean so, that would be great for him it really would so what's interesting you bringing up bunting and i don't think it's that anybody if we actually got to sit and have a, a thought out respectful conversation with people like we all see the value of being able to bunt and even to bunt really well. Um, but like we, it's just a, a training economy kind of thing. Right. And so I think that, you know, the pendulum is always swinging back and forth between how much should we train this and how much should we train that? And um, I just even think about like how much more time kids are spending strength and conditioning right now. Do you know what I mean? And so if all you're trying to do is throw the ball hard and hit bombs, right? Then strength and conditioning should be the other thing that you're spending a lot of your time doing. And so people need to put these things into context and recognize that, hey, maybe sometimes it's helpful to do the opposite of what everybody's doing, um, because the opposite is often where competitive advantages lie, you know? And so having a pulse of how people train and how people are thinking about the game, I think is really important into creating these practice plans. Well, so, and that's exactly... Yeah, yeah, no, go. I agree hundred percent, but that's what, that's what always happens. It's always cyclical, right? Like the pendulum swings one way, everybody does that. And then somebody decides to go back the other direction and it gives them a competitive mm -hmm. advantage because people are under-trained in that particular area. And then the other part of it, I think as it relates to training economy too, is understanding training blocks and, and how you should really structure it throughout the year. Right. So yes, there should be a portion of your year that, probably is dedicated to velocity enhancement or to bat speed. Does that mean that that should be your sole focus all the time? No, there's a certain portion of the year. Like when we're working with kids, once we get in season, it's, it's not about mechanics. Like if I'm going to tell you that you need to make a certain mechanical adjustment in season, when you have two games the next day, I'm doing it to be a psychologist. I'm doing it to try to make you feel good and give you more confidence when you step in the box. I'm not doing it because I genuinely believe that you're going to change your muscle memory in a 24 hour period. Because once you get in the box, that software runs, right? You have a certain set of software that when that pitcher delivers, that software runs over and over and over. So Usually in season, it's way more about approach for us. We're focused on approach. How can we put together a plan and an approach that's going to allow you to have as much success as you can in the box, right? Um, I think with pitching, it's a little different because it's a little less reactionary, right? Like you get a to lot. set the tempo. Less. It's yeah, yeah, it's way less. Yeah. Whereas with hitting, it's like you you have to react to exactly what they're throwing. They get to sort of dictate the tempo and how things are, how they're, what they're going to throw, things of that nature, right? So, um, yeah, it's like if there's a kid where you know for him to, first of all, I don't think that you should be focusing big time on bunting until they're kind of at the high school level. Maybe some basics with it, but um, on the bunting front, well, if you know that that's going to be an important thing for a certain team or a certain individual to be able to move up levels and levels, then yeah, he should work on it. That doesn't mean every single 
other kid on the team needs to. It also doesn't mean that you can't dedicate a good amount of time to that during a different training block that allows you to get that work in and still have that mechanic and be able to execute that without making it impossible to do it because of what we have to get in from a team defensive standpoint during practice in season, you know? Totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, we, we, uh, <clears throat> so it sounds like, so introducing competition to the practice, uh, going back to that right there, I, it made me think about how we try to gamify everything inside of the gym. Yeah. Could you be a little bit more specific on the defensive side of how you guys are doing that? Dude, I'm actually open to suggestions. I was in that webinar last night. We were talking about that. Um, it, I have an experience I, I'd like to share because of that idea. One of the yeah. best shortstops I've ever played with, Yadio Mujica is his name. Leyenda is his nickname, the legend. He was um, behind Nunez in the Yankees, and Nunez was behind Jeter. And he was in the Yankees' double-A organization, triple triple and double back and forth, depending on if Nunez went up and down, for 10 years. The guy never made it to the big leagues, right? Damn. I know, crazy. Anyway, um, Cuban guy. I lived with him three different teams. It's crazy how we were on the same team so much. But he had this old school stopwatch, and he I would sit behind him and while he take ground balls, and he had four seconds to get the ball off the bat to first base. And if he didn't, he would do five push-ups. And he would four use a smaller feet, glove. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, and then it would turn where he would compete against the next guy on that clock. They would bring it down to 3.9, 3.8, 3.7. And then when they were doing double play feeds and everything, they would do it even further. It would be from the moment that he caught it till he got it to second, you had to do it in under a second. You only had a second to catch it and get it to the guy at second base. That's awesome. Um, I, yeah, I'm I mean, just – let, let me share a game that I just thought of uh, two days ago. Uh, this is a, a little bit more specific. If you have a radar gun, I had a kid on a really low effort day um, so basically most people have some version of a low effort, medium effort, and a high effort day if we're th talking programming for throwing. And this was a very low effort day for this kid. <clears throat> and I had him throw specific velocities. And so I had him do, okay, so yeah. he had his warm-up drills and it was like 55 on his knees. I'm like, okay, you can't finish until you're, you throw that at 60. So knee, knee throws, I know that that's the safest thing that that kid can do. If he can't do an aggressive knee throw, what are we doing doing anything else that day? Um, and, and so anyway, gets up to 60, great. His last one was 62. So he went 59, 59, 59, 59, 62. I'm like, great, move on. And I wanted to make sure that I wasn't taxing him, but I also wanted him to like focus. So when you have kids at lower efforts, like how do you get them to feel and, and stay locked in as much as a high effort throw? That's probably the biggest argument for high intensity in anything is the amount of focus you just naturally have to have. So anyway, it was like, yeah, you have to, right? And so I was having him hit 70. So for anybody listening, the whole point is that you just have to find the objective, whatever is in front of you, right? So if you're outside and you're trying to get better at defense, okay, you can, you can add in the things that we just talked about, time it. Everybody has a timer on their phone, something like that. But then also like quantify direction and accuracy, like quantify everything, quantify distance, you know, put, put this back and forth. Can you make a good throw from 20 feet? Can you make a good throw from 30 feet? Can you make a good throw from 90 feet? 120. Why? Are, this is so simple, right? And so what kids appreciate about all of this stuff is like, I don't have to think about it, right? My skill set will evolve through these movements. And that's that's more of like, if you guys haven't heard of like Tyler Yearby, he's more of a Midwest guy, but we he was out at the coaches convention and was in a couple things, but Emergence is his company. Um, I believe I'm saying that right. Emergence, it's spelled funny, but Tyler Yearby, if you guys are writing anything down or watching, and they they talk about the importance of understanding like, Everything is a constraint. Dad yeah. screaming in the background in the stands, that's a constraint. Just like me telling you, you have to no stride off the tee right now and try to hit 80 miles an hour with your bat speed, right? And so all of these things, if you can understand that as a coach, you can really just like put them in environments where they're likely to have success, especially when you have kids around them that treat each other nice. The last thing I'll say is this, in in, in, in like w what you guys were talking about creating teams, 
this is why people like us are getting begged to have teams because this takes a certain skill set for you not to overcoach people and to create these environments that exist. So I tell this to people all the time. If John and I were not in our facility and the kids knew how to walk through, right? All of our kids that understand the program, they would still get ridiculously good results just based on the setup. And those are the kind of things that when we're talking about gamifying your practices, that's what I'm talking about. Can that exist without you? Yeah. And, and what's such an important point in what you're saying too, a lot of the stuff that we just touched on in terms of gamifying it is deadly accurate measurement, objective, deadly accurate measurement. If you're able to measure things very precisely, then it takes kids to such a higher level in terms of their intent and their focus, you know? So it's being able to measure things like that is huge, hugely advantageous. Absolutely. Yeah. We, uh, <clears throat> I have one more. Go ahead, Corey. What were you gonna say? Well, I was going to say that's, what's interesting about coaching, you know, now in 2020 versus when I was in high school back in mid two thousands is there's so much data and there's so many different analytics now and simulators with hit tracks and the blast motion. And, um, just, there's so much data now that you can use, uh, the training and the coaching has, has evolved tremendously. There you go. Yeah. And so it's, it's almost, uh, it's paradoxical because I wish we had a lot of the data and the hit tracks and stuff like that when I was training. However, uh, in my opinion, a product like blast motion, there's, it gives you so much data and a lot of it's super cool, but there's, you know, 12 different analytics that you could be looking at on every single swing. And it can make your head spin a little bit if yeah, you were to be hyper sure. analyzing that stuff. And it, if you have just, you know, a hit tracks, you're trying to beat a distance record that works great. If you're using our bat speed radar and, you know, you're trying to beat your record. It's just one metric that you're working on. If you got 15 different things that you're working on, it's challenging. And so when we were training back in high school, it was really just hit the center of the baseball as hard as you can. That was it, you know, and we would take some yeah. video and stuff, but it was on a VHS player, you know, now it's like, we can do it on every single swing. And then there's 12 pieces of information on that, which is why it can make I your head spin. It can be useful. It's, it's, it's interesting. Well, it's also it also speaks again to the importance of coaches and providing the right direction. So mm. the pitch logic, unbelievable information that comes out of that on every single throw that you make. Right. Well, let's actually talk about what we need to focus on. When you have two guys like you that are experts and have used that thing a thousand times, but actually a lot more than that, let's be honest. Um, you can isolate what variable you need to focus on and then tie that to what you need to do mechanically to try to improve that variable. Right. So, um, that guidance then becomes even more important. Like guys that really understand what the data is saying, and then they can become that conduit between the data and the player, right? Like don't, that don't get me started. Don't be just get me started on this thing because it's unreal how easy it is. Um, I, I I'll tell you for on you guys, right. Um, uh, they are started. working on, I know, right. They're working on things like <laughs> using this ball in the infield where you can start understanding, um, where different grips on double plays affect. And you can see guys are fixing how they're throwing the ball to first base and it can read it. So it does spin rate to arm angle, to spin efficiency, to velocity. And so using that combination of metrics, you can start, of course, shortstop. you got this weird wrist thing that you do and the ball runs up the line, right? So you those those that information seems so scary, like what you guys are talking about, and you can get confused, right? You, 12 metrics in blast motion, 12 metrics in pitch logic. If you don't understand what the value of what you're trying to look at, you know, I totally agree with you guys where you can get lost in translation, and I see it where yeah. – you know, I'll see but a lot of it's valuable, you know, and it tells it tells a certain story. And so it, you, as coaches, you do have to be careful, you know, getting too deep into the weeds with something. And, the, you know, the kid's 11 years old. It's like, all right, man, like, let's just take a step back and just hit the ball hard. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. I mean, the the combination of new school and old school, um, I, I feel like it. a lot of the data validates a lot of these old school 
um, methodologies and stuff. And, you know, and, and so, but in the same sense, it exposes everything, I guess you could say. So yeah. I have a question. You guys had talked about, um, so like another part of this is like, regardless of where you are in that old school news, so you'll still have to like talk to people and mentor kids and like you already addressed that. So tell me a little bit more about like what kind of culture that you guys are creating and what your expectations are of your teams and, and honestly your families too, you know, cause I know you guys have to have conversations with parents and are in these people's lives. Um, do you want to elaborate a little bit more on how you guys man manage that? It's always a, always yeah. a tough thing, um, especially with youth, youth baseball, you know, uh, trying to help parents understand how to go about it the right way with youth baseball. So yeah, we have, we obviously like any other club have those parent meetings, sit them down, talking through what our expectations are and how we expect them to carry themselves and act being part of the catalyst family. Um, and more than anything, the message that we try to drill home is this whole, this whole idea that it's for the kids, you know, it's not about you. It's about them and it's about them enjoying the game. There's, you know, several articles with sort of the catchphrase, the idea of when your kid gets in the car after the game, the first thing you should say to him is, I love watching you play. Not mm -hmm. Nothing about what their performance was, how they did, just the fact that you love watching them play. You enjoy watching them play. And <clears throat> how from a psychological level, how valuable that is for the kid. Because at the end of the day, you know, we, we talked to our parents about this a lot. Like the reason I loved the game was because it was my thing. And my parents, they... They just supported me and allowed me to play it if I wanted to play it. But it wasn't a thing where it was shoved down my throat constantly. And it was like my parents were living vicariously through me or anything like that. So if you can make your kid fall in love with the game at an early age, when they're in youth baseball, before they get to high school, then they're going to want to do the work. Right. But the thing about it is like, they're not going to want to do the work. They're going to constantly fight you on it if it's you just shoving it down their throat. How can you make them fall in love with the game? Or whatever other thing they want to pursue, whether it's playing piano or you know, being an actor, dancing, or whatever the case may be. Allow them to fall in love with their thing and then do all you can to encourage that and let them figure out who they are and what they love. But again, so much, if you want to play at the highest level, if you want to, fulfill your potential as a baseball player it's a grind there's a lot of work you have to do especially with the amount of competition there is out there now and how many great coaches and great information are available so if the kid doesn't love it and they don't want to put in the time themselves if they're not intrinsically motivated then it's it's never going to work it's never going to happen you know so let Sorry. go of all this stuff and try to make it fun for the kid just tell them that you love watching them play and I think that's like the biggest thing. It's the biggest thing in terms of the culture is trying to make it a positive experience for the kids. And um, then as they get more and more advanced, they can ramp up the training more and more, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Corey, I mean, how do you foster I think that's a, the love of the game, man? Well, I, I think that's a big reason why a lot of the parents want their kids to be playing on, you know, quote unquote, club teams, right? Is because... There's a prestige that goes with it. And so when they're at their company Christmas party, you know, at the end of the year, they can tell everybody that, oh, you know, my kid's on a catalyst team or he's on a, you know, whatever, a diamond show. club team. Yeah, it's it's a it's a showing thing. And so a lot the kids, it can spoil the experience of kids because the parents get too sucked into it. I, when I'm doing lessons and things like that, especially if it's a family I'm getting close with and we have a good relationship. I try to navigate both the parents' expectations for the season and what your kid can expect, as well as the kid, and and try to create a positive experience around the whole thing. And I know you guys have seen it where the kid and dad, it's like, I'm sure it happened to you guys too, start fighting and it just ruins the whole thing. And yeah, that's a good way for your kid to quit baseball is uh, to, you're living, yeah, the parents live in vicariously. Yeah, it's just like, how many times have you seen a kid that's an absolute superstar in Little League get passed up by some guys that maybe hadn't hit puberty yet, but love it and just enjoy it and then work their tails off through high school. You know, like it happens all the time. 
in part because there's a development piece to it, but sometimes also because the kid got overstretched or it became something that they didn't really love when they were at these lower levels because it was so competitive and they were playing 70, 80 games a year as like an eight-year-old. <laughs> you know? It's just like, dude, just let them have fun, you know? So. Totally. I, I, it sounds like that all, all of us had the same baseball experience and our families made us fall in love with the game. But also for me, I, you know, speaking for myself, it was definitely by choice. I was obsessed, you know, and if, if I would have had this ball or if I would have had information, I just came from a weird area, you know, I, I don't even know what the difference would be. So that that's where I'm trying to get, you know, nine and 10 year olds to your point, Corey, uh, to understand what the data is earlier, where this is actually easier than you think to understand. Right. But it's just that you get 12 numbers at once. You get real scared because one of them's got two digits. There's an arrow over here. You know, there's there's all kinds of stuff to it. So that translation is just so important. You know, and it's 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 uh, it's not even that the parent and the kid can't work a lot in uh, train together every day, you know, intensely. It's not that they need to stay separated. There just needs to be a healthy mental balance between the two. Right. Where it's not dad's forcing his kid to go out there every single day, you know, but rather the kid kind of comes to dad and the dad's being supportive of the whole thing, you know, and um, just not being hyper, hyper stressed out about the whole process, I think. Well, uh, we've talked about it a couple of times in the last couple of days on our podcast about how, you know, I say it this way. I think that the, the, the way that I try to have the conversation is this. I think everybody has very high expectations for the kids that we're talking about. Okay. And so nobody's going to have higher expectations than the parents. And let's be honest, dad is going to have the most expectations. Okay. And so what dad sees is they see the potential that their kid has, right? And so they see those days where their kid does everything that they ask them to do and then goes above and beyond and is a wonderful kid. And then they go and crush it in their game. And like, they've seen all of the best versions of their kids and they, and it's literally their job in life to make sure that their kid does not screw up. Like this is fundamental. This isn't news to anybody. Right. So we have to respect it from both sides. Right. So and that's where I kind of try to enter the conversation with parents, sure. you know, um, because we just have to make sure like I have to very kindly say, hey, man, I'm trying to have space with the kid. And, you know, and, and, and so we need that from all angles here. And, and I'll t I'll be the first one to admit that I say too much or that I get in the way at times. And I'll, and I'll sh I literally will tell a kid, hey, that was dumb that I told you to do that. Quit doing that and do exactly what you're doing before. My bad. Sorry for screwing you up. Because they have to recognize that their opinion is going to be more valuable than mine if they actually start paying attention to what they're feeling and what they're doing. So I'll bring it back to something that John has taught people um, to, to do that is in this order, how did it feel? Where did it go? How fast was it? Right? And so every kid, and, and this is especially when you don't have a radar gun, right? The last one is the least important. Um, every kid is going to jump to the, the second one. Where did it go? How, how was that throw? And they will answer it based on if it went to where they wanted it to go, not if it felt good. And so as soon as you get kids to start prioritizing what matters in this, now all of a sudden the demeanor of everything changes, right? And so we actually, I can't expect parents to have this skill set of getting their kid to compete and train in a way that isn't overthinking, right? So I, as the coach, have to create that environment and, and that has to be working through the parents, you know? So this is, I, I don't know that I know the answer right now. I'm just kind of like thinking out loud of the, the struggles of, of the dynamic of this and, and really coming from somebody who has been like, ah, I don't know if the best thing for the parents to be around in training. And I know some people like will have parents upstairs kind of things. Um, because sometimes, sometimes it's just the easier way to do it. But in the long run, Kyle Wagner is a, a big influence of mine. And he's constantly talking about the need to integrate the parents into the conversation. So um, I, I just want to direct it one more way. So I want to know, let's say all things are great. Like we do have parents that are on board. We do have kids. What are we trying to talk to our kids about? What kind of conversations are we having? Are we talking to them about relationships? Are we talking to them about food? Are like, 
where do we go and how do we make sure that we're having uh, obviously a positive influence on them from a skill standpoint and a baseball standpoint, but maybe more importantly as human beings? Yeah, well, we're lucky enough to have a registered dietitian that works with us also. Um, so she works with the kids a lot on just starting to understand nutrition because, yeah, it's a life skill really understanding how to do that and how to fuel your body properly, massively important. Um, we also have lucky enough to have a guy named Riley Robbins that um, has a master's degree in mental skills training. And so he's done some different, all sorts of different things with the kids with that throughout the winter prior to the whole shutdown and everything like that. And the conversation really um, on a daily basis, at least with like the team that I coach on a daily basis, try to have a conversation at the end of the practice that talks about something that we did that day and then ties it into what we need to be thinking, how we need to manage our thoughts um, and then how that relates back to so many different things in life. I think one of the primary skills, one of the things that is so valuable for these kids to start to learn at a young age is that ability to manage their thoughts and start to understand that they're not a victim to whatever thought pops into their head. Right. And I think baseball is such a great teacher of that. Cause it's just a game that's so full of adversity. It's there's so much adversity. You're going to have to fail all the time. And so it's very easy in that type of a situation to create a negative thought habit pattern or to have destructive kind of self-defeating mm -hmm. internal narratives. And so helping them understand how to number one, take command, take charge of that internal narrative, right? The first step is in becoming aware of it, right? Not just being on autopilot of as soon as something pops in my head, <clears throat> going down that same path every single time, going into that negative thought habit pattern, but instead being able to become aware of the fact that, oh, I'm doing this again. I'm starting to get in a bad head headspace. I need to redirect my thoughts. And then we try to give them as many tools as possible to do that, right? Like, how can we actually, because it's very easy to sort of say it on a cerebral level, but on an emotional level, when you're in the middle of a game that you really care about and you want to do well, it's tough to control your emotions, especially when you're a, a younger kid in a baseball game. So learning to regulate your emotions and take charge of your thoughts, I think it's such a massive, massive piece of it that then translates into a very valuable life skill in anything that you do. Right. Um, so that's one of like the primary life skills, I would say, that I try to teach the kids and we try to have a pretty consistent conversation with. And then there's all sorts of other little things that come up all the time um, in relation to school, your grades, socially, relationships, all those things, trying to do all you can to mentor the kids and help lead them in a positive direction. Right. But I, I think that little thing of starting to understand how to control your thoughts can have such a huge impact in all those areas. As uh, as JT was just talking right there, I, I wanted to write down a couple of notes that I didn't forget. And it's funny as he kept going, it's almost uh, the exact same thing I wrote down. I wrote down kids need to learn how to handle failure, right? And so they take a swing and they hit the bottom of the tee and it was just a, a brutal swing. It's not an attack on that. It's not bad that they failed. It's okay, you know, put the ball back on. Let's try it again, right? And learning to not get mad at yourself when you're playing such a hard sport that, yeah, it can, it can break you down mentally. And so I'm always trying to teach the kids that, like, it's not bad to fail. It's like, it doesn't make you a bad person. It's not a big deal. It's like, you will have another at bat. You'll have another pitch that you can make up for it. Um, yeah, don't let it beat you down. And I harp on that quite a bit to my students because I was pretty hard on myself. And JT and I, we did so much training. It was six, seven days a week, a couple hours at a time. I mean, we were going hard at it. And if I struck out, you know, I was pretty upset. I was pissed, you know, and I would carry it with me onto the field. And then it's like it, I would just start letting go of it in my mind by the time I'm going up for my next at bat, which is terrible. And so I think I had all the physical talents to be very good at baseball, but mentally I just couldn't handle the fail failure. And I wish I would have understood that a little bit more when I was younger. Second point, second little note I wrote down is uh, I try to teach the kids also that it's not also about training two hours for one day and then you don't do it for the rest of the week. 
you're better off doing 10, 15, 20 minutes, you know, six days a week rather than a full bulk training session in one moment, you know, and then you don't do it for the rest of the week. And that's just how you learn, right? So if you can get good at this, you are learning how to learn and that'll, that can transfer into anything from school to playing an instrument, another sport that you want to do. Um, yeah. Yeah. What, um, a book that Corey and I both love is called the obstacle is the way by Ryan holiday. And it said, there's Mm. parents listening to this and, uh, that is like, it, it, caught fire and got really big in the NFL a couple of years ago and stuff. I think the Patriots use it, but that is an unbelievably good book in terms of sort of the mental side of things. And, and again, it applies to everything, everything in life, such a valuable life skill, but that is a great read in this realm that I would highly, highly recommend. So Corey, between it bats, I'm just going to offer other people something that I would do, not telling you what to do, offering kids an idea, because this happens to all of us. I mean, this is, you just described like most of my, my hitting was, you know, strike out. And then mm. I finally let it go maybe in the on deck circle the next at bat, but it's um, yeah. pay attention to what just got you out. Watch him get all your other friends out too. make sure that you watch mm. how he attacks the rest of the people. So by the time you get to the next at bat, you're like, oh, well, I know I, he got me last time, but shame on him. So the other thing, um, and by the way, I w- I'm telling that to my 15 year old self too. So the other thing was the fight or flight part. He and, you and so when you were, <laughs> yeah, thanks. When, when you're talking about the mindset in the game, okay. And, and managing your thoughts. One thing that's helped me is putting things into perspective and, and just splitting things up into fight or flight. Right. And so if you're, you can afford on the mound to be in fight mode. You don't need to be, but you can afford to be. If you're in fight mode in the box, you're done, right? Guys like John, you will never get a hit off somebody like John if you're in fight mode, right? And and so what I mean by that is, and I'm not, maybe I'm messing this up, but the whole point is this. The lion is not chasing you right now, right? You're in the batter's box and you're acting like a lion is going to eat you right now. And right, exactly. Right. And so you Come need to in. be water's warm, guys. Water's warm. <laughs> and, and if the lion was chasing you, the only way for you to actually evade it is to chill out and accept the fact that he's probably going to eat you anyway. Right. And so if you can, if you, you just can watched under- Tiger King, didn't you? I didn't, which is so funny. This is totally Jordan Peterson, like WEC method stuff. Mm. But it's the mm. same thing of like WEC talking yesterday in our podcast. People act, uh, Jason Uli brought this up. Like he, Jason brought it up like, is motion created or allowed? And then Weck is talking about how people are like trying to create movement instead of just, yes, yeah, I, I don't know how else to say it. That's the best way to say it is sometimes you can just allow yourself to hit the ball. Like quit trying sure. so hard to hit it that much harder because you don't need to. What are we doing? It was 107, bro. Like you don't need to try harder. Just let yourself do that. And I see it all the time, by the way, in in the throwing that I talked about. Hey, throw the ball 70, right? Immediately, they have to go into a different state of mind, right? I don't have – I can throw 95. Now throw 70. That's a different state of mind. And and that's actually the same place that you should be throwing 95 from. So, anyway, those are just the things that were jumping out at me of managing the mindset is – like you have to frame it correctly. You can't be – thinking that this game is life and death. Exactly. I want to be respectful and the, and for your guys' time, by the way. I know one of you guys had to uh, – No, Corey's got – did you mean yeah, noon your time? I got five minutes, so we'll be all right. We'll be all right. Oh, I got five yeah. minutes. Yeah, no, I, and you're 100% right, but the, the whole thing with that, right, is like actually having the awareness on the front end of it. Once they have that awareness, then they can – actually try to do a better job of managing it. I think so often it's just like such an autopilot thing. So yeah, I just, I, I'm just bringing to light, you know, as, as a player and as a coach, I'm, I'm terrible with some of my, my analogies, but so I, when I hear good ones, I'm trying to steal them as much as possible. Cause yeah. you want kids to just this, the fidget spinner idea that John introduced, like 
there's a million different ways to say fidget spinner, but every freaking kid, hey, fidget spinner. Oh, yep. Done. Game over. Yeah. I, I uh, Speaking of autopilot, um, one thing that I caught myself thinking back on me playing in college as opposed to me playing professionally and then like playing as an amateur and, and Cass talked about this the other day with Brandon LaRue in our podcast and LaRue was talking about how when he was playing in college and playing professionally that he forgot how to play the game. And then when he played a pickup game or his alumni game and he went out and he was actually trying to win that game itself. Right. Then he, then he was like, Oh my God, I forgot. This is so much fun. Like he's making backhanded plays, jumping up, being creative, swinging out his shoes, getting jammed, not really, you know, and just literally understanding that is a nine inning fight for what he's going into. And I, I caught myself in the same thing. I, I feel like I got so yipped up by my coach about all of these rules and these things when I was playing the game. You got to throw the ball here, hit your spot. Otherwise, this would happen. And, you know, I think that. You know, I had some bad luck in, in my career where I didn't trust myself so much, where I remember my first pitch that I threw at my D2 university. My, first of all, our coach, of course, this is the best thing to say to, like, the new number one. Like, I threw submarine the year before. I didn't have a clue, you know. And he's like, hey, first pitch of the game, we want to start off strong, come out, pound that ball right down the zone. Don't throw a ball. Like, that was the last thing he said to me as I'm going out to the mountain. I'm like, uh. All right. So I'm like, all right, so he calls a two seam inside. Cool. Here we go. All right. You know what? Let's just paint it. Let's see what we can do. Right. Take a little off, let it run inside. First rounder hits it 450 down the line. Just absolutely was selling out on per first pitch of the season. Right. And I just happened to throw it right. You know, and so he, Ambush, he has a mound yeah. visit. Yeah, exactly. He has a, a mound visit. Yeah. Give yourself some credit. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, like, <laughs> There's moments that I remember like that where I was like, oh, my God, like this is way harder than I thought it was going to well, be, you know, it's so all, it got built up. Yeah, and Exactly. It gets built up because it's all perspective. When you come back and you're playing the alumni game, you're free. You're easy. You, you're like Cass is talking about. We're way not, different. I'm like, I'm going to destroy you. <laughs> yeah. But you understand that at the end of the day, it's like whatever. I, you're you're not acting as though the lion's chasing you, right? It's like you're free and easy. You're competitive. You're out there to compete. But from a perspective about, standpoint, you're talking you frame about what it we so much should better. be doing. <laughs> what we should be doing, JT. Yeah. You're, you're telling me what I should be doing at my alumni. What do you see what you said, I do now? Now I just absolutely cast, rip said, <laughs> Sorry. But you said you said mm -hmm. it. It's about how you frame it, right? Like, and that's the biggest thing. It, just first helping them understand that they can frame it however they want. That's the first thing. And then helping them understand how do we want to frame it so that it serves us and helps us perform at our highest level, which is different for different kids. Not everybody plays their best at the same arousal level, right? For the most part, it's like a little more even keel is better in baseball, but some guys do perform better at a higher arousal level with baseball, you know? So, Say it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's like, but that's the whole idea of exactly what you're saying. Right. Understanding the line's not chasing me. I can take a deep breath. And and there you go. Get like a very simple tool for young kids. Understanding breath management. You can chill yourself out by way of being conscious with your breath. And, you know, little mm. things like that, just little tools like mm. that can be huge for for young players. So, Corey, that a boy. Hey, let's you, you know just what? Say, well, back on the Ryan, back on the Ryan holiday, he just wrote a great book uh, called stillness is the key. And he actually does make a lot of sports references in there where he just he does talk about keeping your mind still. Right. And, you know, if you hit a home run, you don't get too high. If you strike out looking, you don't get too low. You kind of just ride this stillness. Um, like watch Anthony calm energy throughout the playoffs. If you want to talk about stillness, is key. Sure. it's like that dude. Yeah. Talk about a well, low heart rate, dude. It's like, he's in the world series hitting doubles in the eighth inning to take the lead. And he like gets to second base. And he's like, just, yeah, well, that's what I do. Just chill. I, just, I, I will, I will offer. There are some players that are going to play up here and I 100%. might be <laughs> right. And, but that's sure. just like what keeps them playing. Right. And so there's going to be guys in the NBA that are just going to nonstop chirp and that's where they play. Right. And there's like when I'm it's weird because when I'm actually locked in as much as I talk, I shut up. So if I'm dealing, 
I just sit there and I let everybody else do what they need to do. I'm not going to mess with anybody. I'm going to talk to my catcher. Um, but like, dude, my center fielder is going to make a diving catch and make, and, and just be sweet. And I'm just going to be like, dude, you suck. Like that's, but that's just so different mm-hmm. than it's so funny. Right. And so well, the that's- only, the only way that I know that is being in a situation where somebody let me be that. And in my situation, it was amateur baseball and basically growing up and not the most competitive, but that's where I found it. Well, and that's why it's so important as a coach to try to help facilitate that, to try to help facilitate that learning curve and do all you can to help kids understand, all right, at this arousal level, this is when I'm at my best. What set of tools can we give those kids to help them get in that particular arousal level every game, you know, or as often as possible. And by way of doing that, hopefully give them an edge or an a little bit of an ability to perform closer to their potential or peak potential more often. Yeah, man, that's solid. All right. Corey's got to get running. I I know that you guys, it's not like we just met. Um, we'll, we'll do this again for sure. Um, tell them a little bit more quickly about Instagram, uh, fast speed recon. Um, who are you? Where do you find you? And yeah, we'll sign off. You can find us on Instagram at Go Catalyst Sports. So there's a Go in front of Catalyst. Uh, everything else, TikTok Catalyst Catalyst Baseball. I think on TikTok we got. We need to uniform mm-hmm. all of our uh, usernames. But yeah, Twitter is Catalyst B A One. Yeah, we'll have the biggest presence sort of on Instagram. That's where IG we'll killing it on IG. And you yeah, guys, you're, you're, out there. your guys' logos and analysis is is so much fun to watch. I know it's like half my comments, but it's always because I'm like, I, you know, it's just, it's pretty to watch quality. That's that dude. Have some quality work. Well, we appreciate it, man. Yeah, I put a lot of time into it, so we appreciate it. And then uh, YouTube. What's you guys' YouTube, Cutter Nation? Yeah. We both have personal YouTube. ones. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we'll be, we're going to probably with the quarantine start putting some more stuff up on there on, uh, on YouTube so mm. you can check us up out. Catalyst Sports on YouTube. Go Catalyst Sports on Instagram. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you guys. Right, guys thanks guys so much for having us. Follow them. Yeah. No, oh, we're going to do this so many more times. It's going to be great. You guys go follow them. Please uh, share this podcast with anybody that you feel like can learn something. I feel like we put a really a bunch of really good content out for parents and families where, you know, that that is a that is the lifeblood of baseball is really, you know, the families and the kids that that participate in, in our sports so mm. i this, i appreciate you guys giving your perspective thanks so yeah, much man. i appreciate you having us good to see you guys good day. have a good weekend see you guys see you see ya